Welcome, Angel Blue. Hi. You're so very welcome to be here at Theater Corner. Thank you for coming. We're celebrating here Yay. with a little bit of champagne. Yes. Welcome to San Diego. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Mm. All right. We got we got quite a bit to, to go through. You, you're you're just quite an amazing uh, black opera singer. Thank it's you. it's uh, it's fairly rare, uh, <laughs> but it's in keeping with black excellence, and so I really appreciate you for that. Thank you. But you're here performing in Toronto. Yes, I uh, love the opera. Yes? Yes, it's actually, it's a very important opera to me because it's the first opera that I saw, actually, oh. when I was four years old. First opera? And so this is, I, I, I attended this show the other night, and I was just blown away. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how normal it is in opera shows to have that big of a chorus on stage. How different is that, <laughs> or, or, or is that normal? I don't know. It depends on the size of the company, but I think for, for most places it, it definitely is a lot of people to have on stage, but it's a great feeling though to have that many, that much energy really on the stage like that. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it kind of gets all of us pumped up for okay. the show, you know, having that many people, that many voices uh, singing at the same time. Huge energy transfer on stage. <laughs> yes. So this is the first opera you, you, you viewed. So what was it like performing in this particular piece? Oh, I kept thinking about my dad, actually, the last performance that we had, because I sing because of my dad. My mm. father, Sylvester Blue, was a singer. Okay. And uh, I saw this opera when I was four years old in Cleveland, Ohio. It wasn't a fully staged production. It was just sort of like a concert version. Okay. And actually, if I, if I really think back, I don't remember hearing... Um, any of Liu's music. I only remember Turandot's music because mm. her, of course, she has these, you know, the, the big arias and with the chorus as well. Um, but I just remember being so mesmerized by the woman in the spotlight. And I said to my dad, I said, I want to be like the woman in the light. And he mm. said, you can absolutely be like the woman in the light. So singing uh. in this opera now, it really does, um, gosh, so many years later, gosh, mm. nearly 30 years later, mm. it, it really has shown me that I love what I do and that it's um, hard work pays off. <laughs> and uh, now I'm here singing in this grand, great opera. Wow. And, and it is grand. Yes. Uh, it, it really is. Um, and so you, do, you play the character Lou. Yes. Uh, in this performance, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, kind of the, the, the slave girl of the, the protagonist. Yes. What was that like, playing Lou? Uh, yes. As opposed to... Turandot. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, Turandot, if, if ever I have a dream role to sing, it would be mm. that one day. Okay. Because it's, um, I mean, good grief, the music is just out of this world. It's really mm. great what she gets to sing. And really, you do have to have, for that role, you have to have what we have here at San Diego Opera, which is Lise Lindstrom. You have to have a voice, uh, a sizable voice that can be heard up and down its mm. register. And she gives us that. Um, so one day I hope to sing that. My character, Liu, she is a slave girl. She is the, um, in this production, she's not supposed to be so much of a slave girl as she is a helper right, uh, and right. a, a helper to King Timur and a spiritual guide to his son, Prince Kalaf, who, mm. of course, we all know falls in love with Turandot. Mm. Um, for me, I think probably the biggest challenge of, of singing this role is, is not crying while, oh. while singing the music because the music, gosh, I've, I've known it for a long time. I actually started studying um, the first aria that she sings, Signore Ascolta, which means, sir, listen. Mm -hmm. And 
I started singing that when I was about 16 years old. My dad taught it to me and my mom played it on the piano wow. and recorded it for me so wow. that I could practice it. So the character for me, I feel like, I feel like emotionally and musically we're very much connected. And interestingly enough, of course, I'm not a slave girl, but <laughs> of course. spiritually I do, feel, I do feel very much connected um, mm. to Liu's character in that respect as well. She's a very, I, I may not always seem like it, but she's a very calm kind of person. And I, I try to have a calm um, spirit and calm life as well. So, How does a, a, a young girl from Apple Valley, California, <laughs> make it to the big stage and country after country. Tell us a little bit about your, your, your background. Uh, my background, I, I can't really talk about my background unless I talk about my family. Okay. Because they've had such a, played such a big part in me becoming a singer. And I mean, music was always in the home. So I grew up hearing, you know, UC Burling and mm. Pavarotti and Placido Domingo wow. and all of the great old opera singers, Enrico, um, Enrico Caruso, uh, Luisa Tetrazzini. Mm. Um, my dad had all of these records, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the, the name, the smaller one. 45. 45s. 45s. Yeah. <laughs> my dad had all of these, and he had an old player, so he would play them in the house. Uh, but I also, I heard everything. I heard jazz, I heard gospel, um, mm. country, a lot of country, because my dad, um, he used to tour and, and sing country music as well so I mean wow. I grew up just listening to sort of everything mm -hmm. and I think when I was a kid I just I just loved the way that music made me feel but with opera I think I felt like oh there's acting in it and there's you know the ballet is incorporated into it mm -hmm. as well there were so many different um, facets of the opera singer that I enjoyed and, and, and opera um, performances that I like to see right. so it just sort of gosh it bit me when I was four and it just kind of stayed there you know I've never I've never really desired to do anything other than sing, and I'm very blessed to be able to say that that is my profession. Incredible. <laughs> really, it's quite incredible. And so you went to school in L.A., actually. I did, yes. I went to, well, I went from high school, the Los Angeles County High School of the Arts. I went to, um, my undergrad was at the University of Redlands, and then I went to do my master's degree at UCLA. The high school you went to was also, it wasn't just any high school. You went to the prestigious Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. Yes. How, how much did that affect you? I mean, starting off, was it an extra boost, uh, even more enthusiastic Absolutely. about it? Absolutely. It was, it was great because I, I, I was from a small town. I'm from Apple Valley. <laughs> and there was, the performing arts were definitely a part of my life growing up mm -hmm. in Apple Valley. But what I was really looking for, I, I wasn't able to get that kind of training and uh, guidance that I needed in Apple Valley. So I went to uh, Los Angeles and being around teenagers who had the same love for the arts and uh, visual art as well that I had, just really kind of just, it, it made me feel like I was a little bit less odd, you know. <laughs> right. So I was around other kids that knew about opera singers and they knew about orchestras mm. and, you know, they also wanted to be in front of cameras and on stage and that kind of a thing. So it, it really just kind of fueled the fire that was already there for me um, as far as performing is concerned. I have to be completely honest when I say that I think had I not gone to that high school, I don't know that I probably would have felt as strongly in the arts or more specifically for opera, like I do right now. Interesting. Because that, those formidable years, you mm -hmm. know, those, those three years of training and just 
doing it's, it's like I always it's kind of like college football if I may <laughs> you know like we go and we watch these college football games my dad likes college football so that's why I talk about it and he would say that it's nice to see those guys play because they're really doing it for the love of the game they really love it it's not about a check it's mm. not about you know it's not about anything like that and it's that that joy that you get from being young and really falling in love with something and having your peers um, encourage you and and right, right. and feel the same way that that just sort of I don't know it sparked my interest to to just keep going in, in the art form and actually most of us who went to the school are still in uh, the art world today. Incredible. So you left high school, then you got a, a bachelor's of, of music. Yes. From the University of Redlands. Yes. <laughs> you made quite an investment into this thing because you went you went a step further and got a master's of music degree in opera performance. Yes. From UCLA. Yes. You put tremendous amount of time <laughs> and effort in, into this career, and it, and 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 it certainly it certainly shows. But I, I understand you you were pretty creative in in, in financing <laughs> your your way through college. Yes. <laughs> Tell us a little bit. About, so you you participated in pageants. Uh, I did. As, yes, I did uh, beauty pageants for about six years. Mm -hmm. I started doing pageants when I was eighteen, and I finished competing when I was almost twenty-five. And wow. the reason I did pageants was because my I have three older sisters, mm -hmm. and my parents had saved for college for all three of them. And by the time it got to me, uh, my mom said, "Angel, we have to think of something to help you get through school." You know, and I was like, "Well." <laughs> What am I going to do? <laughs> I don't want to have all these crazy student loans. But um, I, I grew about, gosh, my last year of high school, I grew like two and a half inches or something. So I'm wow. five foot 11 and a half. Well, not say six <laughs> feet, but five eleven and a half. And my mom said, what, what do you think about doing beauty pageants? And um, I was really um, kind of rude to her, actually, about it. And I, I said, Mom, look, if I'm supposed to do a beauty pageant, then tomorrow when I go to school, somebody's going to hand me some application to do a pageant. And I was kind of snooty about it, and, <laughs> and you know, she looked at me and she was like, don't tempt God. <laughs> anyway, I went to school and somebody actually handed me a brochure, and oh, it was about geez. a pageant. So pageantry um, funded my way through college and through my master's degree. That's really quite amazing. And so um, one, of, one of your significant mentors, uh, Placido Domingo. Yes. How how fortunate were you? <laughs> I mean, that's that's really quite quite amazing. What? How did that come about? I, I really don't know. Mm. I truly can't say that that I know. Um, I'll say a really quick story. My dad was basically and still remains to this day, even though he's passed away. He's been passed away for ten years. Mm. He's always been my mentor. Mm. And my dad loved Placido Domingo, Pavarotti, and Jose Carreras. They were the three tenors. Okay. So my dad um, was training me and, and teaching me all of these arias and such. This was in 2005. Oh, sorry, in 2006. And I was at UCLA at the time. And I was, I was coming in from a different background because a lot of the students who came to UCLA had come there from a conservatory setting. I never went to a conservatory. I actually never got into a conservatory. Mm. <laughs> so... Um, my dad was trying to sort of play, help me play catch-up in right. a way. And I was invited to audition for a young artist program at the Los Angeles Opera, and I didn't get in. And so I was really, you know, despondent and down mm. about that. And so my dad said, don't worry, we'll work hard, you know, we'll learn the right arias and get your languages together. And so we worked really hard. And this was around, gosh, probably November of 2006. And... One of the, the, the women who was running the program at the time, the Young Artist Program, 
came to UCLA. She met with me, gave me a master class, and she said, listen, um, in two months, I want you to sing for Placido Domingo. Mm. And she said, you're going to sing Sensa Mama, because that's what I had on my list at the time, um, which is sort of inappropriate for somebody who's 22 years old to be singing that <laughs> aria, but whatever, that's what I had. And I sang that in two other pieces. And so I was working, 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 working on mm. these pieces. And my dad said, Angel, when you meet Placido Domingo, he is going to love you. He's going to love the way you sing. He's going to love your personality. Right. And, and it's going to be great. And you will get into that program. Mm. And I said, okay, Dad, well, I hope so. You know, and he said, no, you have to believe it. And I said, you're right. I will get in. I will. So December 31st happens. My dad passes away. Wow. And two months, almost two months to the day that he passed away, I sang for Maestro Domingo. Mm. Maestro Domingo said, I love your voice. I love your personality. Do you want to be in the Young Artist Program? Wow. So from then on, I feel in a way that, you know, I, I believe that our steps are ordered. Mm. I do. And I believe with all my heart that there was, in a way, my dad gave the torch, the baton or whatever, <laughs> to mm. Maestro Domingo. Right. And was sort of like, you know, take care of my daughter. And, um, and since then, thank God, I've had a wonderful relationship with him and his family. Wow. And, uh, you know, whenever I have a question about a role or what I'm singing or... Uh, anything, I can email him and ask him, Does this, do you think this is right for me? Mm. Um, and he'll be brutally honest. You know, <laughs> yes, you should do this. No, you absolutely should not. You know? And I greatly appreciate that because I understand that um, so many people, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate because so many people in this profession, in every profession, but particularly in the arts, mm. are looking for work. You know? And uh, I've been so blessed to have consistent work and to be led and guided by people who are, as Maestro Domingo is, legendary in this career. What was Maestro Domingo's uh, um, advice to you about singing abroad? He was all for it, all mm. for it, because I, I wanted to stay in the States. I actually got accepted into the Metropolitan Opera's Lindemann Young Artist Program. At the time, it was called the Lindemann Program. That was in 2009. Mm. And I told Maestro Domingo about it, and... I mean, I was just, I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, the Metropolitan <laughs> Opera, you know, this is the pinnacle of uh. opera houses. And Maestro said, ah, I don't think you should do another program. And I said, really? Oh. <laughs> so he said, don't do another program, go to Europe. Mm. So from there, I uh, did the Operalia competition in Hungary. I received second place and then first place in Zarzuela because I had studied Spanish before. So he mm -hmm. said, what do you think about going to Spain? If you, need a, you know, if you need another young artist program, do one that's outside of the US. So I went to Spain and moved there to Valencia, Spain, and was there for just under two years. And he was all for it. And it really, gosh, going to Spain really opened my eyes to what opera actually was. Okay. What it, that, that it really had a, this is a, interesting way to say it but it really does have a voice in Europe you know people uh, people know about it people are familiar with it um, it, it, it has a culture of its own and they know the words <laughs> they do know the words they do know the words thank goodness uh, for Turandot they they put the translations up there yes uh, which I don't know they have mixed feel about that it's sometimes it could be a distraction it takes your eyes off absolutely the performers. it does but it's 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 useful to to follow along uh, yes. the story if you're not familiar with it. Yes. <laughs> very, very good. And so you, as I mentioned, you you've performed in over 35 countries. Yes. Um, I, I recall uh, some of the old jazz players like mm -hmm. Louis Armstrong and, and such. They would travel over to Europe and, and perform, and, it, and they got a different kind of uh, reception than they did yes. here 
in your own home country, um, you know, perhaps a bit more appreciated, especially for their craft. Um, so what, what was kind of your experience, uh, you know, starting to perform over there? Was it, was it any different than performing in the United States? I think for me, I don't really know. I'm just learning what it is to perform in the United States because okay. I've been, for the last eight years, I really have been in Europe. Uh -huh. So I just, last year, I, I sang uh, Violetta at, in Seattle Opera. Mm -hmm. And then I went to, later in the year, I made my Met debut, and now I'm in San Diego. Then I go to Portland. Wow. And <laughs> I'm excited to mm -hmm. be in the United States. It's great to be home. Uh -huh. um, so I'm, I'm really just learning what it is to sing in the United States. Mm -hmm. For me, what I what I learned singing in Europe was just that. It is very different culturally because people are so familiar with the pieces. They're so familiar with the operas. They've heard, you know, everything from the great to the good to the mm. bad to the ugly, horrible, whatever. <laughs> um, so they're, they're definitely, I feel, because it's, it's more, I don't want to say accepted, there's more of an, I, I, and I mean this with all respect to the United States, there's more of an appreciation for classical music That's in it. Europe. Right. And maybe that has to do with the fact that, you know, it, it came from there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Part of the fabric of exactly. the culture, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. It absolutely is just that, part of the fabric of the culture. Um, I do know that when I started singing bigger roles in the companies over there, I sang uh, Mimi in, at the Wiener Staatsoper and also Mimi at the Dresden Simper Opera in, in Germany. Um, I do notice that what people first recognize about me, it's not my color, it's not mm. that I'm a woman, it's that I'm American, mm. you know? And so the first thing is they'll say, oh, you know, how, how is she going to, to do these, to, to pronounce these words? How is that going to be? Uh, okay. That's one of the first things that I do notice there. But I mean, afterwards, I, I've, I do feel like, I do feel like as an American singer, I do have an advantage because I'm because I'm foreign, number one. Mm -hmm. But I'm coming from a country that really trains their singers very well. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say that to anybody who I spoke to, that American singers, we are some of the best trained opera singers around uh, the globe. Interesting. Period. Of course, this is my opinion. I might be a little <laughs> bit biased, but I do think it's true. And, and we have these enormous theaters that we have to fill with our voices. So we have to be trained mm. to sing in big companies. So, you know, if we go, going over to like Vienna Staatsoper or to the Covent Garden where I'm going to make my debut uh, coming up this January, these they, they are larger houses, but because singing in San Diego and the, we, we have a 29, uh, 2,900 seat hall here, the Met is something like 45 or 4,800, I think, mm. um, we're trained to be able to project in these theaters. So it's a lot less um, petrifying. <laughs> As an American opera singer, and so there's a, there's actually a, a, a somewhat of a list of uh, black female opera singers yes. that have, that have gone before you that, that sang abroad. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you, you you ever kind of think and reflect on uh, on those folks like uh, Kathleen yes. Battle and and what, what are some uh, some others? There's uh, so many. Uh, there are so many wonderful African American women who have paved the road for me. Mm. My road is, is, is easy, right, right, truly right. easy, compared to what they went through. Leontine Price, Marian mm. Anderson, Jesse Norman, Kathleen Battle, right. um, Grace Bumbry, whom I had the pleasure of meeting, and I, it just a, an awesome woman, an awesome woman. You know, some people, you can look in their face and you see, you see the, the, the work and the, um, I don't want to say struggle, but you see the persistence oh, yeah. in yeah. what they've done. 
And I mean, there's no way to really thank them other than to say, other than to keep working, other mm. than to try to make, if, if it's easy for me, then in 10 years, the girl who comes behind mm. me, mm. it should be even easier for her. You have an album, uh, Joy Alone. Yes. Which is quite wonderful. I've, Thank I've, you. I've listened to it. You better believe Thank you. it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And it starts off, number one song, Summertime. Yes. That's, that's got to be a joy to sing. Huh? It is, yes. You know, if summertime, is, it means a lot to me because I didn't know what the song was about. And I know that sounds really silly, but I, I was actually in Cleveland, Ohio with my grandma. Mm -hmm. And I asked my grandma, I said, I, I said, Grandma, I'm singing this song. It goes, summertime. I sing it, singing it to her like she's never heard it, you know. <laughs> and she said to me, she said, oh, baby, I know that song. I said, you do? I said, well, Grandma, I said, what does it mean? And the cotton is high. Mm. And so she explained to me. I mean, she was thrilled that I asked the question, you know. And so she gave me like an hour-long explanation of what um, it meant to pick cotton wow. because I didn't realize what it was. I've just, I mean, truly, you know, mm -hmm, unfortunately, yeah. I, it shows my ignorance to that. But she explained to me that when cotton is high, it means that you don't have to bend over as far <laughs> to, to pick it. She also talked about what happens to one's fingers mm. when, when people used to pick cotton. And uh, it gave an entirely new meaning and definition of the song and what Porgy and Bess even mm -hmm. uh, is, you know, to me. Right. Yeah. Joy alone. What's... What's what's the idea behind this the the, the title and, and even inspiration for it to do this put this album yes. together? Uh, Joy alone. So my middle name is Joy, right. and and <laughs> the, <laughs> my my good friend Ian Rosenblatt. He was the uh, person who put everything together. Basically, okay. I sang at, at the Wigmore Hall in London in 2013, mm. and. I was approached by um, by Ian, and, and Ian said, "Would you like to make an album of your recital?" And uh, he said, you know, we can add some some songs on it and, you know, it'll just be just a little tiny thing that we're putting out. And I said, of course, I would love that. That would be great. Um, and so he just said, you know, sing songs that mean the most to you. And because I'm, I'm sort of all over the place when it comes to music, I like everything. Mm. So they were very gracious in letting me put on the CD what I wanted to. And Summertime is just a song that I love to sing so much. Uh. <laughs> so it, it was uh, number one on the album. <laughs> I'm really excited to hear about your, your nonprofit, Sylvia Kids. Yes. And it's, and it's named after your mother. It's named after my mom. So my mom, she has five children. Mm -hmm. And well, I have five, I guess we're five siblings. Okay. And um, I named after my mother because my family on my mom's side, it's just a long line of educators. Starting with with Grandpa John. Yes, starting with my Grandpa John, who was my, my mother's grandfather, mm -hmm. my great-grandfather. And uh, he was a slave in uh, Mississippi on mm -hmm. a plantation. And he was the sort of the overseer of all of the slaves that were on the plantation. Mm. And the story that I have been told my whole life um, about my grandfather is that he was the only literate slave on the plantation. Mm. And what he would do is, was at night, he would... Um, the adults would put all of the children to sleep and everything, but then he would take a lantern and they would go into sort of like the, I guess it would be sort of like the outhouse. Mm. And um, they would sit in there and he would teach them um, how to write letters. Incredible. And that has been passed down to my grandmother, mm. Elizabeth Connor, <laughs> who decided that, um, gosh, I guess Grandma Connor was something like 15 or 16 years old. And she said, I'm going to go to college. And, you know, at that time, of course, it wasn't a popular thing to go to college. She was um, 
gosh, this would have been in the 30s. Mm-hmm. She said, I'm going to college. I will go to college. She became a teacher. Wow. And she taught until she was 75. Mm. And um, I remember when she retired because my mom said, Mom, you got to stop working. you got to <laughs> stop. So she retired uh, being a teacher. And my mom, uh, we're trying to get her to retire now. <laughs> but uh, she is a teacher. So I love the fact that my family has always been really motivated to encourage other people mm-hmm. to to live their dream, really, right. whatever that may be. And with Sylvia's kids, uh, there was about, about two years ago, my mom had a class of um, inner city students who were um, special needs students. And so they, they needed, needed a lot of attention with uh, learning how to write. Some of the students didn't know how to write their own names. Mm. And uh, so my mom decided that what she was going to do was uh, take the class for the next two years. So she's still currently with these students. And last year, there was a young lady who, I mean, her story is amazing. She had a 1.5 GPA, Mm. which, as we all know, is very low. Yes. And she was failing some classes, completely uninterested in in graduating. Mm. And my mom started talking to her, telling her, Akuria, did you know that you can do anything that you set your mind to? Do you know that you really can achieve your goals? Mm. And... This young lady said, well, Miss Blue, I, I, I would like to try, but nobody in my family's ever, ever graduated mm-hmm. from high school, so why should I? So my mom started working with this young girl, and I started talking to her over the phone, and I started telling her, you know, if you, whenever you feel discouraged, call me. I don't care if I'm in Germany. I don't care where I am. Call me. Send mm-hmm. me a text message, whatever. So my whole family sort of just really got behind her, rallied behind her, and encouraged her. And this young lady is amazing. Mm. She said, I've al- she said, I've always liked teeth. I said, really? And she said, yeah. She said, you think I could be a dentist one day? <laughs> I said, absolutely, you could be a dentist. So the end of her senior year, she said 3.75 mm. GPA, completely came up, started taking night courses so that she could get the credits that she needed to graduate, mm-hmm. and enrolled in a, dental, uh, in a trade school to learn to become a dental assistant. Where she, which she's currently doing right now. Mm. So I told my mom, I said, Mom, I said, I want to keep this going. I want to keep helping inner city kids with their education in any way that I can. And so that's where Sylvia's Kids comes from. And it's, it's I feel like I have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's been on my mind for a long time. I love talking to young people. Mm-hmm. I like trying to encourage them and, and letting them know. I mean, I was encouraged. the whole my, my whole journey, I'm still currently encouraged by my family and by my close friends and mentors. So, you know, I, I feel good when I'm encouraged. And I want other people to feel good, too. Right. And I, I want everybody to, to have that feeling of, I can do this, you know, mm-hmm. to, um, to, to, to believe in themselves. So Sylvia's Kids is, um, it's a blessing. You know, mm. I, I get that it's a nonprofit and that pe- people like hearing about nonprofits, but more than that, it's about the students and about them knowing that no matter what your circumstances may be, your circumstance doesn't have to define you. It right. should inform you, Certainly. but it doesn't have to make you who you are. My mother, if I may real, really quickly, my mom grew up in what people would consider the ghetto, mm. you know, and... Um, she said, Angel, I, I didn't want y'all to grow up like that. And me and Syl took y'all, we, we moved to California because I wanted you, we all wanted you to get your education and we wanted you to be able to, to follow whatever path it was that you were supposed to follow. And I, I take that 
I take that really strongly because mm. to me it's like, okay, it goes all the way back to Grandpa John. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It goes all the way back to him. Mm. And I, I think and I hope that he would be, that he would be proud of his great-great-granddaughter right. seeing what he did and what he went through and trying to pay that forward. Well, I'm, 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 I'm tenfold inspired uh, <laughs> from the, from since we first sat down here. Thank you. Uh, really incredible. Uh, and I really appreciate what you're doing with the, with the kids. It's, it's really quite commendable. I want to thank you again for, for coming here at uh, Theater Corner and, and, and keep doing what you're doing. You're, 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 your father's wonderful gift to opera. Oh, and, thank and, you. And I really appreciate you. And uh, so we, we, we got a bit of drink to finish <laughs> yes, here. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> here's to, here's to uh, an incredible uh, opera career during uh, 2018. Thank you so much. And, and thank you, viewers, for tuning in to another episode of Theater Corner, and we'll see you next time.